What's up, y'all? Now, look, you know that we try to keep it clean on Living Corporate, but every now and then we have folks come on who are impassioned and we are not ones to censor anybody if we really believe in the heart of what it is that they're saying and the mission that they're doing. So the conversation you're about to hear does contain some harsh language. Uh, so listener discretion is advised. Catch y'all next time. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and you know what we do. We're having real talk in the corporate world. How do we do that? We talk to black and brown entrepreneurs, executives, activists. uh, Let me see here. What else? Public servants, creatives, artists, influencers, educators, you know, so anybody who is black and brown or, um, you know, an aspirational ally. We try to have them on the podcast and have real conversations, right? These real conversations are centering underrepresented and marginalized voices. We're having conversations that often go unhad or whispered in a corner. We're trying to have those out loud and on a digital platform so they can be accessible to everybody. And we do this weekly and we have dope, 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 dope guests. So today we have two guests at the same time, you at the same time, Syra Rao and Regina Jackson. Yo, so I'm gonna go ahead. So I got these two bios here. Y'all, y'all know what we do. You know, I try to read the bios, just so y'all can have an idea of what's going on. Then we get into it. So here we go. Cyra Rai grew up in Richmond, Virginia, the daughter of Indian immigrants for 40 years. She wasted her precious time as to be white and accepted by dominant white society. A futile task for anyone not born with white skin. Several years ago, Cyra began the painful process of dismantling her own internalized oppression. Cyra is a lawyer by training, a former congressional candidate and a published novelist and entrepreneur. Now, look here. If y'all don't recognize what kind of podcast this is about to be by the bio that I read that they gave me. Listen, I'm going to just drop the flex bomb right now. It's about to be spicy in here. Now here, now I'm going to go ahead and go to Regina. Now born in 1950, Regina remembers an America where everything was black and burned into her memory are the beatings and horrific treatment of civil rights workers throughout the South, the Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner murders, the murder of Viola Liozo, the murder of Luther Jr., and the murders of President JFK and his brother Robert. The violence perpetrated on innocent people going about their lives by white people. It is these memories that drive Regina to push for real change in America, which is why she co-founded Race to Dinner. Syra and Regina, welcome to the show. How are y'all doing? You know, I'm doing great. Syra, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. So I, re- I read some bios, but can we get into y'all's own stories as to why Race to Dinner came to be and how? So like Regina, well, like my bio said, um, I ran for Congress exactly two years ago and I ran um, in, I live in, we live in Denver, which is a predominantly white city. And I ran on an explicitly anti uh, racism about the racism within the democratic party, which, you know, we know there's, there's the Republican party's entire platform is racism, but there's ample racism. within the Democratic <laughs> yes. um, And so, you know, what I found was a long line of white ladies um, wanting to have coffees, breakfasts, lunches, and dinners with me. And uh, 99.9% of the time it was for them to tell me very indignantly that it's not them, not all white women. And then they tick off all their civil rights accomplishments and the cats and their safety pins and how awesome they are. And um, really just telling me about how I had them wrong, that they were individual, you know, stop painting all white people um, as the same. And so anyway, I had to do those because I was running for office and I needed to court her. After I lost in June of 2018, um, I became a big target of sort of the alt-right, Breitbart, you know, Fox, those places. And the invitations for these lunches and dinners didn't dissipate as I had hoped. They just got more and more and more. And 
I continued to do these lunches and dinners in good faith, um, recognizing, by the way, I was not just out hours and hours of my time. This took a tremendous um, toll on my mental health. And by the way, these ladies never picked up the bill. And I was, you know, paying for dinner and for babysitting because I have two small children. So wow. um, anyway, that's when uh, last December this happened. Um, so, so when Syra ran for office, I immediately fell in love with her because she was talking about racism that doesn't get talked about in the United States. And she was talking very provocatively about racism. She wasn't being nice. She wasn't not using the white privilege and white people. I mean, she's talking it. So I immediately volunteered for her campaign. I worked on her campaign and got to know Syra. And I was like, wow, I really like this woman. So I had had a white friend who said to me, she said, you know, I'm just over Syra. She hates white people and I'm just going to be done with her. And in the next breath, she says to me, but if you can arrange it, I'd like to go to lunch with her to talk about it. <laughs> so, so I talked to Cyrus. Cyrus said to me, she said, you know what, Regina? She says, I'm not doing it that anymore. She said, but I'll tell you what, if she wants to have a dinner and invite some of her white lady friends and you do it with me, she said, I'd be happy to. Do and thus was born Race to Dinner. Yeah. Wow. It's Okay, so let's talk a little bit about <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Regina the exchange that you had. Why do you believe that your friend at the time said that Syra hates white people? Well, because Syra was saying she hated white people. No, I, didn't. <laughs> I didn't say that. No. Hold on a minute, that player. <laughs> okay, for debate. No, I literally never have said that. So the the. The thing that got this particular woman was that I said that Beto O'Rourke was a white savior. Oh, yeah. And um, she was one of these women who was, like, obsessed with Beto O'Rourke and went to Texas to volunteer for Beto O'Rourke. And I said, um, you know, Beto O'Rourke is a white savior, and I also did his campaign, and if I lived in Texas, I would vote for him. You can actually, you know, hold various things um, to be true. At the same time, yeah. At the same time. And so that's what sent her over the edge. And that's actually at the dinner... She brought that up as the thing that sent her over the edge. And um, she, you know, got really angry when I wouldn't budge on the fact that Beto O'Rourke is a white savior. Frankly, I think Beto O'Rourke might acknowledge himself that he's a white savior. And so um, anyway, she cried. She got super mad. She did all the stuff that white ladies do. This is a white woman who called herself my friend. She thanked me for, you know, teaching her um about racism and helping her to be a non-racist. She um, told me how much she loved me all the time, blah, blah, blah. But when we started our Race to Dinner website and we decided to do a Patreon, you know, where people sign up for $5 a month. Shout out to Patreon. Or $12 a month. This white woman who had told me, she's a widow, never had any children, that her income after her husband died is $200,000 a year. And I said, will you sign up for our Patreon? She told me to put it back on Facebook. Needless to say, we are no longer friends because she talks the talk, but she doesn't want to walk the walk. Um. So you're saying she has over 200. I'm sorry, but I'm shocked because I come from humble beginnings. Right. And I'm not from Denver. Like I'm from the South. So you said just to go back a second, you said her income is over two hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. 
and she won't spend sixty dollars a year on our labor of our on our writing. She wanted us to put it back on Facebook for free. And see, we have we have re- really been talking about that issue: how white people don't want to see black and brown, especially paid for our work. Now um, they'll pay, you know, forty thousand dollars to go here. What's her name? Glennon Doyle. Yeah, Glennon Doyle. But they can't pay us for our labor in a personal, private, small group conversation. That no. includes dinner and, and booze. That's that's more white people nonsense, and I'm not having it. <laughs> I mean, at a certain point, you're just like, what more do you want from me? You know, like, what, what is this? Like, what are we doing? Like, I mean, y'all see this effort. Y'all know that it's valuable. Recognize it financially. And y'all know that the, the way this system is built capitalistically that we need the bread to survive so come on like come up off so i, I hear that um and it's interesting because race to dinner it reminds me and i i want y'all to walk me through this format because i've been to a couple of events like this where like you get together over dinner and you talk about quote-unquote culture um mm-hmm. and so i want to understand though like talk to me about the format of race to dinner how it works um and just how it's set up Okay, well, one of the first things I think is to recognize is that most white people don't even know that they have culture, okay? In the book, Waking Up White by Debbie Irving, she talks about white culture. And us as non-white people, we recognize it because we have had to live it in order to, like you say, survive. It's perfection. It's being nice to everybody. It's talking about nothing. Yeah, don't talk about hard stuff. Don't upset people. You know, that's the culture that we were all raised in. And they still want to just talk nice. And we say, you know what? The other thing is they're all in their feelings. You made me feel. Can we curse on this show? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. (laughs) And I love to say, fuck your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) That's between you and your universe. That has nothing to do with me, but they are always up in their feelings. And that's one of the things in race to dinner. If you have to cry, you have to leave the room. And so to really, give you- if you start to cry, yep. you, you are on the table. Yeah, that's correct. Cry or get really angry. Um, but to, to get to answer your question about setting the, the, the get painting a picture for you. So, you know, why is it dinners? People say, why is it dinners? Why can't you do conferences and keynotes, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we know about white women. White women are devoted to being nice and polite. And there's nothing more impolite than getting up and leaving the dinner table, period. The setting is a beautiful dinner table in a woman's house where she's serving dinner and she's pouring wine. And so this is the white woman's happy place and safe is a dinner party with other white women, right? And and, you know, every once in a while, maybe they go to dinner parties where there's a black woman or an Asian woman or a Latina woman. But like, you know, this is they feel very comfortable. And so they come in and kiss, kiss. Oh, my God. How are you? You look great. You look great. The whole nine yards. And then they sit down. And instead of, oh, my God, what are your kids doing <laughs> this summer for summer? camp? Oh, my God. My husband's irritating me. Um, we just it's very, very much like this, like. Everyone go around the table and say why you're here. And you literally have like, you know, a minute or two to do that. Because early on, we were like, why are you here? And they would just like pull out their resume and start telling us about how they volunteered at Planned Parenthood. And they went to a Black Lives Matter rally and whatever. And so um, 
anyway, after that, the next question is, please go around the table and name one way in which your racism has presented itself in an action that you've done recently. And then they basically fall out of their chair. Like you might see pee come down their legs <laughs> because it's like they can't leave. They all want to freak out and run out of the room, but they can't because they've got this nice beef tenderloin and a glass of Chardonnay sitting there. And it would be rude as fuck to do that. So then they have to actually do that. And we used to, we just changed that format because we used to everybody introduce themselves and then we talk about our background and why we were there. And what we found is we would have two or three women in every dinner who would not say a freaking word, you know, the lurkers. So we finally said, this is not a way. If people are going to be here, they need to engage. So we make everybody talk about, you know, this is why I'm here. And this is how I notice racism in myself. In myself. So, you know, you go to one of these, like, liberal white person dinner party, and they're sitting around for hours trashing Donald Trump and trashing (laughs) the Republicans and talking about, like, they pat themselves on the back. It's like the back-patting Olympics, right? Yes. Who's the most awesome white person in the world? This is a place. And by the way, they try. So, like, at the last dinner party, and these are, look, these are not bad people. We've got to break down this false binary of racist, bad not racist good that shuts down the conversation but there's a white lady there who's lovely and fine and you know we asked her how are what is the racist thing you've done and she starts rambling and then she says you know um a friend of hers ends every conversation with me love you long time and we're like and, what and, and all, what? The other, all the other women were like what and i was like no 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 how are you racist stop deflecting it to your friend, in that case, what she could have easily said, but she didn't, she can't say something else, is I'm racist because mm-hmm. I've never shut that down. So mm-hmm. that's the silence is So all like the Republicans are bad, the Republicans are bad. What about you? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are, what are you doing? That Like, silence is complicity, you know? And even though the Republicans are, quote, bad, white America allowed this to go on. Donald Trump didn't invent racism. He just capitalized on it. That was my turning point. This whole make America great nonsense. I'm like, no, I'm done with white people nonsense. I'm done. You know, they need to step up and call a thing a thing and be the wonderful people that they seem to think they are. And Regina, it's in, so your profile, the fact that you were, you know, you were active, like you was moving around during the civil rights movement and you're still here in 2020. So like, have you ever had situations where people have been like uh, either alluded to or told you to like get over it or was a really long time ago or times have changed? And if so, like, how do you react or respond in those situations? You know, I don't think anybody would tell me that. I'm one, but I have this attitude. You know how us black women can give off that don't fuck with me today? Yes. Generally, 24 7. It's like. To this day! Not today, man. We're not having it. Oh my goodness, I love it. The spice, the energy on this podcast, it's 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 reached it's reached incredible levels and we're we're really just like still in the beginning. So uh when it comes to and even like honestly like the tone of this conversation, right? Like the the unapologetic, um, very like to the point manner in which y'all are speaking, and in which like I see the like your website communicates as well as um your online personas. I'm curious about 
what feedback or critique you get when it comes to like the idea of civility, right? Because I feel like even today, um, <laughs> there's a lot of folks who are still like really hanging their shingle on civility, and, yeah. and they what use is- it almost like as a cudgel to like yeah. silence voices. I'm curious as to how how, how do y'all it, respond to that. That's what it is. Civility calls for civility is calls for silencing, and I'm just curious when has so civility is code for being nice, right? Mm-hmm. When has nice saved people of color? Like, was niceness there to save Trayvon Martin? Mm -hmm. Um, Is being nice saving the brown and black people who are dying in concentration camps around the country? Um, Is niceness saving the Palestinians upon whom we are, you know, aiding Israel, dropping bombs upon them? Like, being nice is code for doing whatever the fuck you want to oppress people and not getting called out for it. That's a bad nice. And remember, Dr. King said that white. They would rather have order than justice. You know what? I'm not about order. Fuck your rules, okay? Fuck hurting your feelings. Fuck being nice. Let's talk the real deal. Let's talk about how you're hurting black and brown children. How black boys and girls get treated in school. How black people are being their communities onto the streets by gentrification. Let's talk about all that. And if it requires me to be nice, then yeah, you know, it what's, ain't you know what's super not nice? Stop and frisk. You know what's super not nice? The Muslim ban. You know what's super not nice? These concentration camps. And so um, I'll tell you what, though, Zach is. I you know before I even ran for Congress, I spent a year, 2017, going the civil way. I went to the University of Virginia, and at that time, most of us in life were friends that I had met at the University of Virginia, overwhelmingly white women. And at, by the way, I used, I'm like, I was in an all-white sorority, and I wore Laura Ashley. So I used to think, my, I used to think that I was a white woman. I see, so, I see, okay. No white women. And I tried, I, you know, I did dinners with these friends. I cried, they cried, I made them, I, you know, I patted them on the back, I massaged their feet, I think I might have painted a toenail or two. Wow, wow. I, I all the nice civil things and every single time it was like straight out of a SNL which by the way SNL is also a toxic white liberal mess but um but it was you know we don't like your tone we just you just seem really angry mm-hmm. um my favorite from one of these women was what are you doing you're completely alienating everyone and I said to her I said who's everyone and I said are you are you unaware that there are people of color who actually you know are in agreement with what I'm saying and she was like oh I never thought of that mm-hmm. because she literally the only people of color knows what were me one <laughs> and she's a nurse and so a couple of her colleagues um she's a black woman colleague and a brown woman colleague and she said to me well I asked them and they said that they think that you're crazy and like the racism is untrue and I'm like oh. they're not safe to say that you're mm-hmm. like their boss mm-hmm. you know and, and someone said it's very funny they're like if you have, if you're white and you have a brown or black friend who doesn't talk about white people, then you don't have a brown or black friend. <laughs> I was going to say, now my big thing, I started working, volunteering, mentoring in a high school about six years ago. And I would, the woman who ran the program and started the program would tell me all the time that I hurt her feelings. <laughs> you know, everything you say hurts their feelings. Yeah. And... <laughs> And I sounded like I was angry. And I just started saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm mad as hell. And I could give a shit about your feelings. So deal with it. She finally resigned. And I took a lap. (laughs) And now the program is being run by people of color. Yeah. And by the way, like, of course we're angry. I'm sorry. Like, 
white women literally go batshit crazy if their spin class instructor is five minutes. Go fucking crazy, right? They're angry and it's fine. Like, that's fine. But we're not supposed to be angry about systemic oppression. We're not allowed to be angry about that, but they can be angry about a yoga instructor or spin class instructor being five minutes late. This goes to show you, they don't care. They, they actually, it's not only that they don't care, they actively are fine with, with being participants in this. They just don't want you to call them out for it. And that, in some ways, that's the difference between mm-hmm. Republican women and Democratic women. The 50% that voted for Donald Trump versus the one who kind of sat idly by and let Donald Trump win. You know, how do you know how many white liberal women I know who voted for Hillary Clinton, but their husbands voted for Donald Trump and they didn't speak a word of Hillary Clinton. They didn't put a Hillary Clinton sign in their yard. When I would come into their house, they'd be like, you can't talk about Hillary Clinton here because of so and so. So what's the difference between the husband who is voting for Donald Trump and the wife who is silent? Nothing. You know, feasance versus non-feasance, it's all the same thing. Not acting is acting. Yep. And so I'm curious, like, again, the delivery of this and like even with with the criticism that you received, like you're not being nice or it's not being civil, whatever the case may be. And yet Race to Dinner is a whole organization. Like y'all are y'all are an active organization. So clearly that's the other thing these white women want to say well what do we do with our money it's like it's not your business do you go into Nordstrom's and say what do you do with your money we're not a nonprofit. this is a business yeah and so and so I'm curious and I'm curious like it just it seems as if if, if your approach was so off-putting and alienating that your business would not be viable and yet it is right yeah yeah uh, and so so talk so talk me through that's a good question. You just you just asked a question why. One woman put it to, to us like this not too long ago. And I think this is it. She said a lot of stuff. She's the woman who said um, to us, I said at this dinner, particular dinner, you all don't see Regina and I as your, you don't see our humanity. You do not see our children and grandchildren as your, as your children and grandchildren's equals. You don't see their humanity. Seven out of the eight of them shook their head just, oh my God, wrong, 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 right? Yeah. Woman to my left, you know, God bless her. She paused before she spoke and she said, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I don't. I don't see the two of you as my equal. I don't see your humanity. I don't see your children and your grandchildren, Regina, as um, equal to mine. And there was a collective gasp, right? Like they couldn't believe. And then little by little, they were like, yeah, I mean, that's right. And at the end of the dinner, this woman said, I feel such a sense of relief. I feel relieved because white supremacy kills everybody, including white people. It's it's like a disease. It's toxic and it kills you. And she said, this is the first time I've been able to actually acknowledge this to myself, say it out loud, say it in a in a room full of my peers and say it in front of the people that I harm every. And I think that's it right there. She articulated why we're able to get people to come to these dinners because it is a relief for them. At least, you know, the ones who are willing to accept it and come in with fully open minds and, and leave their fragility at the, I think it's a relief. And, you know, one of the things that, one of the things that I want white women to do, and I don't know why it's so hard, but it is, is to just step up when you see injustice, when you see racism, when you hear it, 
call that shit out and let things fall where they fall. They never do that. They're always dependent on us to be the ones calling it out. And I'm like, y'all started this shit. Get in here and stop it. Right. Just like men, men created and benefit from misogyny. So men have to dismantle misogyny. Right. We can't. Right. Women cannot. Similarly, white people created and benefit from white supremacy. So they're the ones who have to do it. So this is, by the way, we don't allow for other women of color in the room. Because the one time we did at a Chicago dinner, there was a, another Indian woman in the room. And so, you know, she's a member of the community. These are people that she sees that pick up and drop off at her kid's school. Every time we were speaking, all looking at her, waiting to see and asking, well, do you feel like this? Do you feel like this? It was a deeply unsafe space for her. Just like my nurse friend asking her um, women of color colleagues if they felt like that, that's not safe. Right. So we don't want to put other women of color in a situation where they're answering uh, to white women in that room because it's not safe for them. In y'all's experience of having this organization, this business and facilitating these dinners, what has been the most like eye opening experience, would you say? My most eye opening experience is we had a dinner with several white women, eight and maybe four of them had adopted children of color. Okay, black children. And we had one young woman, I would say she was maybe in her 30s. -hmm. She had adopted a young black boy. This woman had the audacity to say that her family and friends said something racist or harmful to or about her child. In front of her child. In front of her child. She did not correct them because they loved him. That's the biggest I've ever heard in my life. And if I could have taken that kid away from her, I would have done it. And so then, you know, a, a piece recently came out and Syra, like we, uh, this was something that you actually, you actually tweeted about as there was, I, I believe it was someone who actually attended the race to dinner event. And they said, you know, most folks don't like Syra. That was yep. said that a lot of people hate Syra. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, there, it's out there. We can get over it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about what does it look like? Like, what does it look like to continue to do this work in light of those types of critiques? Like, where do you get your your strength and your resilience from to continue this type of work? It's not easy. I'll say Regina is a big source of strength and a big source of resilience for me. Um, here's the deal. It's a process. Right. And, and I, I would be completely lying if I said it didn't bother me when, um, you know, look, I've gotten used to. Uh, most of it. I've gotten used to the white supremacist trolls. I've gotten used to the Nazis. Um, what I do not enjoy is getting doxxed. Uh, that happened over the weekend by a white woman in Abu Dhabi, doxxed me and my family, so put out our private information and tried to send Nazis to come hurt my family. I do, do not enjoy that. I don't enjoy that my children get left out of things at, uh, you know, with, with because their moms hate my guts. I don't like that. It's uncomfortable a little bit to run into these old friends of mine um, around town and, and I know what they think of me and I know what they say about me. I don't love that. But, you know, besides that, it's okay. I, it sounds really weird. Like, I'm actually okay because I realized that I was filling my life with a lot of nonsense. Yeah. And how many times, I mean, you know, I was thinking back on this because we're working on a bunch of stuff, but I've had to like dig deep. How many times I was at a party once in college with these friends um, it wasn't even a party, it was a dinner, a dinner, right? And I couldn't leave because it had been rude to leave. Um, 
And it was two white women sitting across from me who were not really close friends, me and then this white woman to my left who was a very friend. And one white woman said to the other, she, her last name is, is an Asian last name, but she's white. And she said, oh, my God, when I got the letter in the mail that you were going to be my roommate, I freaked out. And I said to my parents, what have I done in my life to just a roommate? <gasps> and they started laughing. And, and, and they were like, and, and look, it turned out great. And my friend to the left of me, start, they, she was laughing, too. And I was just sitting there stunned. And I said, hey, you guys, I'm Asian. And then they all took another sip of their beer, like spit it out laughing. And they go, oh, yeah, but you're not one of those kind of Asians. Wow. And I said, no, I, I am. I'm actually I'm actually 100%. They go, you know, like the accent and like the weird food. And weird love, food? Yeah, yeah. And the smelly weird food. And I looked at my friend and she just sat there and was laughing with them. And so I did what I had always done, which I started laughing too. So I sold myself down the river and I upheld. That's how people of color uphold white supremacy is I laughed as well and I let it go. How many of those experiences have I had in my life? I, I, I cannot even count them. It's There are too many to count. And so I'm living an honest life. And you know what that means, living an honest life? If that be hated, so be so it. So be it. Yeah. Hate me. And, you know, as a black woman, I have learned many, many years ago that the only way I can survive is I affirm myself on a daily basis. I know who I am. I know what is okay with me. I know what's not okay. So when people start talking shit, Regina's this, that, and the other, and I tell my mentees that, the best way to have a good life is know who you are. Affirm yourself, and when you hear crap from anybody else, you don't have to own that because you know who you are. Yeah. And Zach, just further to that, by the way, I'm trying to start affirming myself because Regina really, truly is the most evolved person I know. I think a big part of why a lot of people um, come at me, and it's 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 all kinds of people. It's not just white people. Mm-hmm. It's black people. It's Indian people. It's mm-hmm. Latino people. Is it's I'm the first generation of model, quote, model minority born and raised in this country, right? So we're new. Mm-hmm. And we are supposed to stay in our lane. And we're supposed to be extremely grateful and not call out white supremacy because we are the model minority. So there's something extremely jarring to have an Asian lady in the middle of Colorado speaking like this. I think that's a big part of it, too, is that, I mean, lots and lots and lots and lots of South Asian people really hate my guts. They just want her to shut Shut up. up. (laughs) You know, they will say, I had, I had Indian people say to me, stop talking about Black Lives Matter. And I was like, they know that there's a Muslim ban. Like, they know. You know I'm so confused. I mean, you're called Aku how many times a week? You're called, you know, Mohata how many times? And they're just, like, pretending like it didn't happen. And and really funny, there was a, the only Indian South Asian pack um, didn't invite me to their gala in 2018 um, when I was running for Congress. And so Andrew actually invited me to go as his guest. And so I went, I flew out and I get there and it's, it's eight other or something like that. Eight other South Asian all run, all running it. By the way, they're all like super, you know, white platforms and mm. pretending. And I show up with Andrew and everyone's like, literally like, who the fuck brought her? Like, why did you all bring her? I mean, it was just, it was really funny. I mean, it's funny. haha. But like, yeah, my own people. I hate my guts. You will love guts. this. Cyrus says at our dinners, I'm anti-black and all of you are racist. And I go, and guess what? 
Black people know that. Yeah. We know that every immigrant group thinks they're better than us. We know everybody would rather be whatever than Black. That's not news. So we talk about that. So that, I just want to add that one last thing. What Regina said is, uh, you know, we'll say who's racist in this room. And most of the time, no one raises their hand except for me. And they're like, wait, what? And, and I'm Asian. So I'm instit- I've been trained institutionally to be anti-Black. And then they'll look at Regina because then the next step, you know, step one is dividing and conquering. And they look at Regina like, oh, my God, look, you've got an anti-Black colleague here. And Regina's like, all Asians are anti-Black. Like, if I'm asking white people to acknowledge their own institutional bigotry, it would be wildly hypocritical for me and completely lack of self-aware if I wasn't able and unwilling to do that myself. And so it's it's interesting because like, I just find it all so very intriguing because like the closer we get, and I'm continuing to have conversations about the fact that November is coming up and like the closer we get to November, it's, it's interesting that we're like, a lot of us are still kind of moving like, business as usual but i know it's scary it's really strange right like even though like we remember like all of the chaos like that happened four years ago like in and outside of the workplace i recall the election we know that we know that right and so it's like it's just strange to me that like even from like a diversity equity inclusion perspective that we're not we're not really talking about that like we're not preparing as the congressional black car the fuck are they Oh my gosh, this is, oh man, this is great. Um, I, I find it really curious. I find it really curious. So um, you about the fact that race to dinner, it's white women attending the dinners um, and then you both are facilitating the dinner. Um, what do you believe it is about, like, when you, we, because typically we talk about gender equity and, we, and we really, we're rarely intersectional. We rarely talk in brown women. We, we typically just say men and women. And the default, of course, there is white women. It seems as if there's still some work, a lot of work to be done when it comes to white women understanding their place when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion and how they fit in this role and like what power they wield. And I'm curious, why do you think there's still a, a reticence to engage that even from like just an intellectual exercise? Well, you know, I like to say, first of all, you all, everything you've made has been on the backs of black people. Let's get that out there first, okay? So that's the first thing they need to understand. They wouldn't have what they have today if Black people had not fought and died the civil rights movement. So that's the first thing I want to get. Second thing, when we talk about intersectionality, we're really talking about Black women and their intersection of both race and sex. So white women, this is what we try to say. You know, the foot of patriarchy is on your neck, just like it's on ours. You want to continue earning 75 cents for every dollar the white man earns, fine. But if you ever to have equity, enjoy the same rights that white males do, you better come and join us because we've been fighting this for a long time and we're going to continue to fight it with or without you. But they also have the proximity to the power. They have the proximity to the money. These are their fathers, their uncles, their brothers, their sons. So that's why they need to be engaged in this. Well, and the reason, you know, they always pick whiteness over gender because they're benefiting greatly from whiteness. 
And so they've been born and raised, by the way, but they would never say that, right? That's the the lack of honesty and transparency. They've been born and raised to see themselves as the greatest victims on the planet because they are um, below white men. So that's it. That's where their analysis of inequity, that's where it stops. It it starts and stops on them being the biggest victims on the planet. Um, And as a result, they erase women of color. We don't even exist in their minds. I'll tell you what, Zach, use this whole hoopla around the 19th Amendment 100 year anniversary this year. Yes. Uh, Great. It's a great window into white feminism. Susan Becky Anthony totally fucked black women. Yep. Right. So the 19th Amendment, not the women's right to vote. That was the white woman's right. to vote. Exactly. And so we're not like brown and black women are not celebrating the 19th Amendment. But you would think all these freaking white suits and all over the place running around and talking about um, how this was, you know, the year that women. That's not true. And there is a direct line between Susan B. Anthony and Nancy Pelosi, who regularly throws her women of color colleagues under the bus, starting with Maxine Waters and every member of the squad. So I'm tired of it. I'm tired of white women, you know, lumping all women's rights together. That's not true. That's just not true. And and they know it. They see, know it. They're pretending like they yes, don't know it. See, the, the biggest issue that we have is them pretending that they don't know shit. Well, they're going to pretend like they don't know how bad it is for women of color. They know. They're going to pretend like, you know, we're all treated equally. They know. So I want them to stop pretending. Stop lying. And tell the fucking truth. We ask all every dinner. So this is well over 100 white women around the country. How many of you would trade places with me or Regina? Guess how many of them have raised their hands? (laughs) Yes. Zero. First dinner. No, one. From the first dinner, remember that oh, we okay. failed? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's ne- one. It's z- between zero to one. <laughs> um, so they were truthful so they about know. that. So they, they know. know. So they know. So they, they first tell us that they wouldn't trade places with us because they are better than we are. And then they'll all say they've stopped doing this, though, because we put an end to this nonsense. I'm just here to listen and learn. I'm just here to learn. You already know because you wrote the book about white supremacy. You had it optional. You've made every film. It's won every Oscar. It's been exported to every country around the world. It's been translated into every language. And you're asking us to explain the book that you wrote? Like, I'm just so... That's bullshit. That's bullshit. And we are not... That's fine. That's the way it is. But we're not... We're not here for it. We're not here for your stupid-ass lies. That's right. We can see you can't wait to have dinner with us, right? No, I'm I'm here for it. No, I'm here for it. I actually have I actually have some mentors um that would that would love this. Um and actually what I really want to do is I want to give y'all space. We'll make sure we put all your information in the show notes, but I want to give you actually some space to like to plug all your information, work on more, how people can sign up, all of that. Race to dinner, R-A-C-E two, the number two dinner.com. And find me on Twitter at tweeting quite often um, at Saira Samira Rao, S-A-I-R-A-S-A-M-E-E-R-A-R-A-O. Regina Jackson. I'm on Twitter at Regina Jackson Me. I think, you know, I'm old. I don't know all this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But we have uh, a couple of great uh, people working with us who schedule all our dinners and you can reach them through the website. And also we have a race to dinner Facebook page and we're, race to dinner is on Twitter and race to dinner is on Instagram. Instagram. And we're also Zach starting 
to do corporate executive teams and um, so boards and executive teams uh, because they seem to need it and because d- diversity and inclusion is a big um, hoax, as you know, and like 95% of diversity and inclusion is run by white women. And hey, companies, white women are not diverse and are not inclusive. Well, and, and where do you think they get their information about racism? Yeah. We're not, what we've heard from a lot of not that like the three non-white um, diversity and inclusion officers in the country have talked to us and said, you know, how great would it be if you two could come in and say the things to the board and my colleagues that we can't say without getting fired, they, exactly. they get fired. Exactly. We can say this shit. They can't. And I just had this conversation with my husband yesterday. We've got some things going on in Colorado with our judiciary. The office of the Supreme court in Colorado um, has nine black employees out of, 260 something and none of those are at a management level so we were having this conversation and I said to him you know Gary me and Syra we can talk shit because we don't have to answer to anybody we don't have to keep a job we don't have to you know play politics we get to just call a thing a thing and I think ultimately if we want to blow a little smoke up our bombs Mm -hmm. I think that people kind of like us at these dinners (laughs) I could care no 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 but he's asking why (laughs) oh yeah they they want, they want to be our friends. They want to be our friends. They want black and brown people to like them. Yeah. And this is really interesting. I just, while we're talking about this, I just got a three-page letter from a white woman friend of mine. I've known her probably 40 years, who is married to a black man. And in the letter, she wanted, she had read The Guardian, and she wanted to know about if we were going to take on the issue of how white women, that are married to black men are treated in black women's spaces. Okay. Oh so that's God. what she wrote me about. And I talked to my husband. I said, here's the issue. Oh my God. We can't trust you. I said, when 53% of them for Donald Trump, and then they want to tell us, oh, we're in your corner. We can't trust you. So until we can trust you, I doubt that we're going to accept you. Yeah, and Regina said that at one dinner last summer. She said, you know, we were talking about trust, and one of the women said, well, that hurts my feelings. You mean to tell me you don't trust any of us in this room? And she goes, no, I do. She goes, I trust Syra with my life. (laughs) But she goes, I don't trust the rest of you bitches. You know, it is what it is. In order to be trusted, you have to be trustworthy. That's right. And white women have not proven themselves to be that. Not just that, they've proven themselves to not be trusted. Yeah. And so then, you know, in some of the pieces that I read about race to dinner, I know that there are executive leaders who are white women who attend race to dinner. Yep. And I'm curious about, from your perspective, what is it that you're seeing leaders are doing or not doing that is hampering inclusiveness and equity in their respective workforces? We just had a dinner in Chicago, what, like two weeks ago? Mm -hmm. And I would say this was one of those, you were asking what are sort of the most poignant moments. Uh, This was one of the more poignant moments for me because we kind of saw the whole ecosystem at play. Um, So this woman is a nurse in Chicago and she said, and she like got teary. She said, you know, a month earlier, she was in a meeting with nine other white women, nurses and doctors and their boss, who's a white guy, a doctor. Okay. Doctor. These are people who deal with brown and black lives all the time. And he said, 
that the big thing they need to tackle in 2020 is they're hiring uh, foreign-born doctors. And she said, she said, well, guess what I did? And we were like, we know what she did. Nothing. Nothing. Right? So she said, I went through the whole thing in my head. Maybe he didn't mean it. But she was like, no, all the foreign-born, we've been hiring Nor- Norwegian and French doctors. We've been hiring brown and black doctors. And she said, I didn't say anything. I didn't say a word. And I said, did anyone else? And she said, no. So that to me was like, oh my God. And I said, get that. Like, so you just upheld it. What you all, the nine of you or the 10 of you white women did was every bit as toxic as what the white guy did. And harmful. And harmful. And so, you know, I said, what if you broke the cycle there? When you said something. And then, you know, Regina, of course, said, which is true. Here, here are some of the ramifications. Let's play this out. You could have been fired, right? They would make up an excuse to fire you. You become a troublemaker or whatever. You become demoted. You become, you're ghosted. All the stuff that we've experienced. But they would think twice before saying and doing this harmful stuff the next time. Like using your voice in these professional settings is so important because it moves the needle in a way that can the needle, that they can actually move the needle. And she was like, I told you know, she totally got it. Meanwhile, white lady to her right does exactly what they always do because they need to set themselves apart. She goes, oh, I can't believe that you did that. I would never do that. It's like, no, no, no. Like, let's back it up. Of course you would. And you do. So why do you feel? She goes, well, I know that you think that it's not possible that I'm not like that. I was like, you're all like that by training, you know? And so anyway, it was the need to separate herself from you know, classic white woman behavior. And, and what's great is the other women at the table did come after that woman and say, come on, you yeah. know that we all do this. We're all silent at dinner tables. We're all silent in executive meetings. In fact, one of the things I make sure that I tell women, this is just the beginning. Yeah. If you are going to be in this work, number one, it's work. You will be doing this for the rest of your life. Number two, if you expect to gain anything, boy, are you wrong. you're going to lose. You're going to yep. lose relationships. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to lose friends. This is not a winning game. It's not a winning game for us, and it's definitely not a winning game for white people. Yeah. Ooh-wee. Now, see, I don't have sound effects for, like, spiciness. That's why I've been dropping that flex bomb from time to time. But I will say this has been incredible. Before we let y'all go, any parting words or sh- I want to shout out to Genevieve and Lisa the two come white who work with us yeah come on white ladies <laughs> thank, thank you for having us on the show yeah. and I'm looking forward to listening to this interview yeah we're looking forward to uh to everybody hearing it y'all yell now I told y'all at the top of this was gonna be spicy so y'all don't gonna be emailing me with your complaints you want to see the manager i'm the manager y'all know we this is we're not we are unbought and unbossed okay so uh um, manager stuff doesn't work with me so i get you yes no it's not it's, it, all the emails go to me Ade, and aaron so we not nope <laughs> uh y'all this has been uh man, it's been a dope conversation you've been listening to uh the co-founders of uh race to dinner and just thank y'all thank y'all cyra rao 
Regina Jackson. Um, okay. Make sure you. you check us out on Instagram at Living Corporate on Twitter at Living Corporate underscore pod. Um, you just Google us. You know what I'm saying? Look up Living Corporate. We're going to pop up there. SEO is, is strong enough. Okay. Check us out on all our domains www.living-corporate please say the dash.com livingcorporate.co livingcorporate.us livingcorporate.org livingcorporate.net we got all the all the different domains y'all we just don't have livingcorporate.com yet like australia owns livingcorporate.com but one day we're gonna get that domain too um and uh shoot questions make sure you um just dm us dms are wide open you don't have to follow us back we're thirsty like that just hit us up and um you can also email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com until next time this again has been zach and you've been listening to regina jackson and Syra rao co-founder race to dinner make sure y'all check out uh the information in your show notes and uh make sure you uh you sign up and uh, go to uh have a racy conversation all right y'all peace thanks Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.